From the stock market floor to your laptop, we are Voice America Business. Welcome to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers. Leaders are the heartbeat of any organization. Let Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler show you what it takes to become a top 10% performer in your organization. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler. Welcome to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers. I'm Dr. Relly Nadler. We have Dr. Kathy Greenberg on the phone. And we are your leadership development coaches. Between Kathy and myself, we have helped thousands of leaders and executives to perform in the top 10%. Today's program is about a very special humanitarian who continues to be a visionary technology futurist and the driving force behind one laptop per child, Nicholas Negroponte. Nicholas uh, is the co-founding chairman of MIT's Media Lab and is now Chairman Emeritus uh, Media Lab is known as one of the world's leading interdisciplinary research centers. We're going to bring him on in, in a bit, and then we'll hear a little bit more about Nicholas. But you know, Kathy and I want to bring you the best in current leadership topics, interviews with proven leaders, and provide evidence-based best practices to help you develop more leaders in your organization. And Kathy, welcome to the call. Thank you, Relly, and we are delighted today to have Nicholas Neglaponte with us, and he's going to talk to us about some fascinating things that he's doing with children around the world. What we try to do, as you know, in all of our shows is talk about leadership, and, and as you know very well as being a leader yourself, as you're listening in, that you are the heartbeat of your organization, and most leaders do underestimate just how much influence they have over others, but as Relly and I will share, just doing a few things differently will always improve your performance and your organization. And what you'll learn in all of our programs are not only how to develop more leaders in your organization, but how to establish and really provoke emotional intelligence and positive psychology strategies in your company to create high and top performers. So let's get on with the show today. And, Riley, why don't you talk us uh, through a little bit about um, Nicholas's background? Oh, great. Well, today's guest is Nicholas uh, Negroponte, and we mentioned he's one of the foremost futurists of our time with a distinguished history of valuable insights on innovation, technology, and their impact on business that few can match. He has continued to understand the directions that technology is taking business and society and to effectively forecast the transformations that are defining our future. He's the founding chairman of MIT's Media Lab, one of the first, uh, one of the world's leading interdisciplinary research centers. Dr. Negroponte is the driving force behind One Laptop Per Child, a project to bring durable, affordable, and innovative computers to children worldwide. And before we want to bring him on, we wanted to just tell you a little bit about our evidence-based uh, focus, that leaders have anywhere from 50 to 70% influence over the climate of their team. That's why we're talking about leaders so much. And we know that leaders' emotions are contagious. And leaders, we like to say, are the emotional thermostat for their team. One of the keys of being a top 10% performer, which we define as someone in the top 10%, is emotional intelligence. And as a leader moves up the corporate ladder, the more and more they need emotional intelligence when compared to either IQ or technical expertise. And if you can get some of your leaders in the top 10%, they will produce twice as much revenue to the organization as managers in the 11th to 89th percentile. Both Kathy and I are certified coaches. And when, if you have training alone in organizations, 
it's been shown to have about a 22% increase in productivity. But if you could add ongoing coaching to that, the person's productivity is enhanced by 88%. To get more information about Dr. Kathy Greenberg, her website is www.h2cleadership.com. She has happiness books, tools, speaking keynotes, leadership and coaching services. And if you want more information about me, Dr. Riley Nadler, my website is www.truenorthleadership.com for emotional intelligence books, tools, speaking keynotes, leadership, and coaching boot camps. And, Kathy, let me turn it over to you, and maybe we can start uh, asking Nicholas some questions. That, that would be terrific. I, I have to say that I was uh, very fortunate to meet up with uh, Nicholas at a uh, linkage conference recently. And as leaders listening in, you all know that the importance of technology cannot ever be underestimated. And uh, Nicholas is going to talk to us today about not only his work uh, in his prior life at Media Lab, but how he's taken that into a leading discipline to be the driving force behind one laptop per child. And it's about bringing durable, affordable, and innovative computers to children worldwide. This is a nonprofit organization that is just transforming our future opportunities for leaders on a global level. And um, I want to get into the meat of the conversation with you, Nicholas, and we'll try to add as much as we can to the context of what you're doing. But you have such wonderful credentials. You know, you, you have been on the board of directors of Motorola. You've been on the technical advisory committee to the FCC and advisor to the European Commission. Um, you have founded so many wonderful organizations. You've taught at MIT, Yale, Michigan, the University of California, Berkeley. Let, let me just welcome you to the show. Hello, Nicholas. Well, thank you for having me. Um, one of the things that we always like to do when we start off with uh, a wonderful guest like yourself is ask you who has been influential as a leader or a role model in your life and who you've become as one of the world's most well-known futurists. Well, I've spent my whole life uh, at MIT, which as an academic institution is a pretty fortunate place to be uh, because you have uh, a lot of great minds who uh, not only teach and do research at MIT, but uh, you have some of the most extraordinary young minds that come, and it's an institution like most academic institutions that replenishes itself each year. So there's like a fountain of youth. Um, I had the great fortune while I was a young faculty member to work with the then president of MIT, a man named Jerome Wiesner. And uh, Jerry was, amongst other things, President Jack Kennedy's science advisor. And so he had spent uh, a great deal of time himself in a global leadership position, not just as president of MIT, but just before that, uh, in the White House in a period that was not only interesting politically, but he was so close to President Kennedy, he had much more influence than the normal science advisor. So I learned most of what I know from Jerry Wiesner. So that's uh, interesting to hear about Jerry is he is he still at MIT? Is he still alive, or is he passed? No, Jerry, Jerry died about a uh, little less than ten years ago. Oh, okay, and uh, he was the person with whom I founded uh, the Media Lab. You will usually see reference to my being the co-founder, and, mm, and Jerry okay. was uh, very much the uh, 
the other person. Um, and he, he had, because of his various roles in life, just access to an extraordinary number of very influential people. And even though he was that powerful, uh, he was also a very kind person, a very thoughtful person. He listened very well. And those are not necessarily skills that come naturally to leaders because very often leaders are self-confident and have enough uh, sort of energy that they may not be good listeners sometimes. So uh, it's not intuitively obvious that somebody who is a good leader in the sense of being a captain of a team is necessarily uh, very good at understanding the subtleties of what are what's actually going on. When both you, both when Kathy you and I know about, about that because <clears throat> a lot of what we talk about is listening and communication with the people that we work with. But so how did you become a futurist and, and, and what skills does uh, one need to possess to be successful yeah, exactly. as a exactly. I'm dying to hear that. I don't think you become a futurist uh, any more than you, uh, let's say, study philosophy at university and become a philosopher. It's kind of an earned distinction that you get uh, through having been sufficiently right over time. And in my case, uh, I ended up being right not because of some clairvoyance that I saw things more clearly than others, it was really because I was reporting on what we were doing. And what we were doing at a place like MIT really determined what was going to happen in the future. So we had, a, we had a, uh, an expression uh, at the Media Lab that said the best way to predict the future is to invent it. And so we felt and the Media Lab still feels this today, that we were inventing the future. We weren't reporting on other people's predictions, or we weren't reading magazines and collecting it or visiting research labs. We were doing the research ourselves. When, when you talk about your time at the Media Lab, and now when you look at what you're doing on a global level with one laptop per child, mm-hmm. how, how is selling an idea like the one laptop per child different um, or similar, maybe, to your work at the Media Lab? Well, let me tell you how it's similar and how it's different. Uh, the, the, the similarity is that when people fund something like One Laptop Per Child or the Media Lab, they're really funding you. And when you can look them in the eyes and say, I am going to make this happen, it's a lot better and than saying, well, this will happen and, you know, you should be part of it. If you can, in the f- first person, say that I will make this happen, then people, people are voting not just on the idea, they're voting on you. And that's a common denominator that was true at the Media Lab and is true today at One Laptop Per Child. The differences are, are, are also quite distinct, and that's that at the Media Lab, my job was to be like a light bulb, was to have ideas and to illuminate a situation by lighting it up, if you will. At One Laptop Per Child, I'm a laser beam. I mean, I have a target, and, you know, and, and 
my job is to get to that target, and it requires a great deal of focus um, and a great deal of execution because as a very specific example, at the Media Lab, anything we invented only had to work once so that you could prove the point. You could capture it in documents and video. You could talk about it. And if it worked once, that was sufficient. At one laptop per child, we're talking about millions of these laptops going into the hands of kids. And so one is really very, very much involved in the execution and making sure that this is something that has sustainability and it's, it's robust. And that robustness is absolutely critical. Well, Nicholas, we're going to come right back. We're here with Nicholas Negroponte talking about one that per child. This is Leadership Development News. We'll come right back. The bottom line in business. Voice America Business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Homeowners, real estate investors, bankers, listen up and tune in to Finance, Foreclosures, and Foresight, the show that breaks it all down and gives it to you straight. Are you at risk of foreclosure? Interested in buying a foreclosed property? Mark Bull has the answers to the questions you might forget to ask. Finance, Foreclosures, and Foresight broadcast live on the Voice America Business Channel Monday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific. You can't afford not to tune in. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top leaders. Uh, we're talking with uh, Nicholas Negroponte about the one uh, laptop per child. And, Nicholas, you were uh, talking a fair amount about the media labs at MIT. And before we get into the one laptop per child, what, what are, what's the goal or what's the mission of the media labs at MIT? Well, the media lab was founded as a concept in the late 1970s. And uh, in the early 1980s, a group of faculty from various departments got together uh, and the idea was that the inventors of new media 
would also be the creative users. So the Media Lab became a place that was populated by artists, musicians, uh, journalists, uh, developmental psychologists, uh, electrical engineers, physicists. It was a really interdisciplinary environment. At its peak, it hit about 500 people. And some of the early inventions are things that you take for granted today, that you call multimedia, or that when you see a movie on a DVD, a lot of those early inventions came out of the Media Lab. Now, after um, you started to look at uh, this, this global technology revolution, you, you said you became like a laser beam um, with this one laptop per child focus. Can you talk a little bit about where that compassion and inspiration came from um, for, for these children on a global level? Well, there are two, <clears throat> two threads that, uh, that sort of lead in the same direction. Uh, one is that back in the late 60s and early 70s, a very influential person, himself also a leader to say the least, named Seymour Papert, had come to the United States after working with the developmental psychologist Jean Piaget in Geneva. And Seymour made some very simple observations, and perhaps the most notable, which had to do with children and learning, was that if a child engaged in the act of computer programming, that that was the closest he or she could come to thinking about thinking. While that sounds very abstract, what it provided was the basis of designing computer languages for children and then later some of the richer media that children have access to today. And that thread has carried on, and the Media Lab that I was discussing a few moments ago always had about 25%, maybe 30% of its research and research budget devoted to children and learning. Then the second thread which starts a little bit later, but not much, was in the area of developing nations. Uh, Seymour and I had done work in Senegal, Pakistan, and Colombia uh, in 1981. We were involved, and this is literally before the PC existed as a product from IBM, only the Apple II existed, and we were using it with primary school children in these remote locations, and the idea was to bring to some of the poorest children uh, some of the highest technology to give them access to learning and to information and way ahead of its time, literally 1981. Uh, that's, you know, a lot, it's over 25 years ago. And during that period, I had a lot of opportunity to travel uh, to many of these nations one would not necessarily go to. And I've found that it was very easy to get, you know, passionate about the fact that all the big problems of this world, whatever their solutions in plural may be, always include an element of education. In some cases can be done just with education, and in no case that I can think of, uh, have no education involved at all. So focusing on education, particularly primary education, would be one of the most important 
things to sort of the prosperity of the world as a whole. So um, with that, uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit uh, about how does a project like One Laptop uh, Per Child, how does it change the lives of an entire community as well as a child who receives a laptop? And maybe you can kind of let us know, okay, well, you know, where are you in this journey? Is this, is this just starting? Is it, are you partway through? Or? Well, One Laptop Per Child, as we call it, OLPC, um, started four years ago. And uh, a very fundamental decision was made at the beginning, perhaps the most important decision we've ever made, and that was to make it a non-profit organization. So OLPC is a humanitarian non-profit organization, and the non-profit aspect of it does three things for you. Number one, there's perfect clarity of purpose. I can meet any head of state, any politician, any business leader, and not for a moment will they think that I have shareholders. I don't even have a salary. So it's, it's, it's really very clear, and children are viewed as a mission, not a market. The second thing that it brings to you is the opportunity to attract some of the best leaders in the world, some of the best people to be your executive officers or to lead professional aspects of your program. All of our professional services, whether they're legal or public relations or search firms, are all pro bono. And what's interesting about that is not saving money. That's the least interesting aspect of it. What's interesting about that is that the people who are attracted to help you in a pro bono fashion are people who are so good, you really couldn't afford them. Um, and that is, that is quite exceptional. When we were looking for a chief financial officer, we put out a job description at zero salary and got the best applicants you can imagine. And they weren't all over 65. There were young people who had reached a point in their career or their family was sort of lobbying that they do something to change the world. And then the third thing that being a nonprofit helped us do and was a very important decision four years ago is that we could develop partnerships that would otherwise not happen. For instance, the United Nations is a partner. Uh, and when we launched the laptop three years ago, just as a, you know, the example, and we introduced it to the world, um, I did it with Kofi Annan in Tunis, uh, and we were able to get extraordinary recognition and extraordinary worldwide interest because we were doing it with the United Nations, and the United Nations couldn't do that with a profit-making organization. So to answer your question specifically, the laptop as a concept is four years old, as an engineering prototype, it's three years old, and as an existing working model, the one that's available now, it's two years old, and it's been distributed in developing countries over the past year. There are about 800,000, soon to be a million, uh, of these laptops in 31 countries, primarily in the hands of very poor children in very remote locations. So if you look at our list of countries, you'll find Afghanistan, Rwanda, Mongolia, Haiti, Cambodia. You'll find countries that are amongst the world's poorest and in some cases very much post-conflict parts of the world. 
So, Nicholas, I've been to Rwanda, uh, Zaire, Uganda, and some of the countries where you are now operating with these children. These children have no access to electricity. They they literally barely have access to good water and food. Talk a little bit about how this kind of human-powered system works. I've I've uh, seen this uh, on television when you've done interviews. It's just amazing. Well, what we decided when we started the project was to design a laptop from the bottom up with children in mind, for sure, and learning in mind, for sure, but more importantly, that it be for parts of the world that don't have electricity, don't have the telecommunications, don't have any of the infrastructure. So for that reason, we have to, for example, use very little power. You have to be able to power it by turning a crank or by putting a little solar panel. Uh, it not only little physically, but inexpensive. So just take that for as one example. Your laptop, my laptop, the normal ones we use, use about 35 to 45 watts. Our laptop, the so-called XO, which OLPC designed and is made now, only uses two or three watts. And depending on what you're doing with it, it can use as little as one watt. If you're using something that has got a lot of dynamics and a lot of computation, it might use five or six watts. But it's very, very economic, not just to be green, but to be powered by the kids. Because 50% of the world's children have no electricity at home or at school. That's pretty uh, pretty amazing, um, just to, to hear that. So then they have the solar panels out all all day, char- charging up for whenever the sun is up, just so they can run the computers night and day. Yes. And in fact, these children are also learning skills that are going to be absolutely essential to their future and their survival in a technology-focused global community. That is certainly correct, but what I would emphasize isn't so much the skill of using the computer. That's a little bit like the skill of reading. Yes, it's, it, it's assumed, but now what you have is these children have access to basically every book. They certainly have access to all the books in the public domain, all the books, you know, all the websites. They, by connecting these children, you are giving them a window into the world that is absolutely unimaginable. Even when I was a student, I didn't have that kind of access. And even where connectivity is thin, we put it in where it's non-existent, but even where you don't have a broadband access, if you have a 100 children in a village, each receiving a laptop, remember, it's one laptop per child. And so if a 100 kids are each receiving a laptop, each laptop can have, let's say, 100 books. But what's important is each kid can have a different 100 books so that totally they have 10,000 books. Mm. That 10,000 books is bigger than almost any school library. So suddenly these kids, even without accessing the Internet, have access to, in that example, 10,000 books. 
just amazing just to think about that. It's like a walking human library. Exactly. Now, how do you get these laptops paid for if everything is done in a not-for-profit environment? We pay for them in two ways. One way is we ask the countries to buy the laptops for the children and distribute them free. Peru, Uruguay, amongst others, have done this. And the second thing we do is we offer the laptops to the public, like people in the United States, where they can buy them for $399, get one, and simultaneously give one. You're basically paying twice the price. It costs us today about $200 to make the laptop. And so if we sell it for $399, the person is buying a laptop and giving a laptop. Well, we're we're going to come right back to the story because it's just so intriguing and it's such a wonderful thing to be doing. And if we can help our listeners understand how they, too, can get in on this great idea, that would be great. So we'll be right back with Leadership Development News. So don't go away. The Bottom Line in Business. Voice America Business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Before every word, there is a thought. Before every action, there is a thought. If everything starts with a leader, what happens when leaders around the world start to think and do things differently? I'm thinking the world will change. Evolve the leader. Evolve the company. Change the world. Join Susan Kavanaugh for Summit Speed. All Leaders Rise. Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News, tools and practices of High performance. I'm Dr. Ryan Adler. We have Dr. Kathy Greenberg on the phone, and we're talking with Nicholas Negroponte of the One Laptop Per Child Initiative. And Nicholas, uh, maybe you can share a little bit uh, more about some of the success stories from your last segment. It's just getting going. There's anywhere from 800,000 to a million laptops, 31 countries. 
tell us maybe some of the, the stories that you, that you may have seen and some of the ways that people are using it and some of their experiences. Well, as you can imagine, there are hundreds of stories uh, happening. Perhaps the most heartwarming are the ones where teachers report back consistently that they have never loved teaching so much, mm. that discipline problems drop, truancy is zero, and parents are more involved than they ever were with children in school. And the reason I'm touched by those kind of anecdotes is that our approach to learning is very child-centric, and we are insistent that the child own the laptop and take it home. And that's one of the five principles we insist on because we want the children to think of the laptop as theirs and to use it seamlessly in their own education. Some people view this as somewhat anti-teacher and anti-school, and yet the anecdotal evidence is so prevailing that the teachers love it and the energy in class, the energy in that room is just unmatched like anything before. So there are many of those kinds of success stories. I'll give you one specific incident was in Uruguay, where the president of Uruguay has named one laptop per child as his personal legacy. There are 450,000 students between 6 and 12 years old in Uruguay, and he has pledged that by the time he leaves office, which is in 12 months from now, every child in Uruguay will have a laptop. And today, as we speak, approximately 200,000 already have them. So that's almost half the children, and the other half will get them very soon. Well, I visited one village where the teacher in this small school had heard about the laptops. She had been teaching for 30 years. And when she heard about the laptops, she went to the Social Security office and said, listen, I'm too old for this. I'd like early retirement. The Social Security office told her, come back in four weeks and we'll give you your early retirement. Well, in the intervening period, the laptops arrived. And, of course, she was a teacher, and she worked with the students and so on and so forth. And within two days, she realized the magic. And she went racing back to the Social Security office and said, I've changed my mind. I want late retirement. And when I see things and hear things like that, I realize that the energy, as I've called it, that happens in the classroom is so undeniable that this is the sort of contagious aspect of one laptop per child. And it has been true in every single place we've gone. As you talk about the one laptop per child project, um, you know, as a great futurist, it seems like you are doing some really hard work to uh, to get the word out, but once once it's there, the the way that it spreads through almost like um, a wonderful and infectious disease uh, takes hold. As as you are doing this work, um, can you see real changes occurring in the lives of these children and and what their futures might hold? You can see astonishing changes, perhaps. The, the, the child, since 
you know, on average, these laptops haven't been out there that long. But the change you can see immediately is the role of the child. Remember, these are children as young as six years old. And children are typically the object of what adults want to have happen. You are told, basically, what to do. And children don't, they don't play too much of a role in, in deciding things. And suddenly, these children in the villages become very much the agents of change. And you can see that in their self-esteem. You can see it in their behavior. You can see it in the way they relate to their parents. I have a feeling that many people listening to your program have experienced the sort of the phenomenon of getting help from your own child. Or maybe if you don't have a child from a niece or a nephew, but your cell phone doesn't work, your laptop doesn't work, and you need help and you ask a child. If that child is your own child, the child-parent relationship is not destroyed at all. In fact, it's enhanced. And the child's self-esteem changes and your relationship to the child changes. And that happening at a global scale with regard to children and society is a very major change. So then these children are, are becoming the, uh, the mentors to their parents and also bringing the new world to their parents. Without question, these children are, in many cases, teaching their parents. Their parents, in many cases, are not literate. Um, we've seen specific examples of children uh, having access to wholesale prices or uh, of some product like rice or, or the, a child doing inventory for their parents where the parents might have a, a little community store, uh, things that, that basically bring the child's experience with a laptop into their family life. Nicholas, you talk a lot about countries um, where children don't have access to electricity, but you have actually um, a, a wonderful experience to share as well, I believe, in the state of Maine, which passed a one laptop per child legislation in 2002. What, what are we doing here in our own backyard to make this a possibility? Well, the truth is nationwide, the United States is doing far less uh, than many other parts of the world, not because we're being delinquent, but because the difference that this makes is, in the scheme of things, relatively small. Think about it for a moment. We spend $10,000 per year per child in primary education as a nation's average. So providing kids laptops economically, especially if you amortize the laptop over five years, is, is not a big deal. It's a little bit like moving deck chairs around. Yes, we can, it can supplement and do very important things, which I wish every child in the United States did have a laptop, and I think the results would be very important. But it's also the case that children have access to a lot of other things. And the, the resolve that Maine had back in 2000 and 2002 was very important in terms of leadership, and a lot of other states looked at Maine quite carefully. But in the end, the Maine example, while very important to our own evolution and very important to Maine, 
uh, didn't provide that much help for other countries because in Maine, the laptops were for the most part locked down. In many cases, the kids didn't take them home, and in all cases, the kids didn't own them. So we had to learn from Maine and then use other models uh, in other parts of the world. And if you asked me where today are some of the best examples, I would point to Peru. Peru not only has a very good grasp of learning and what we call constructionism, but they actually have taken the laptops, and the first 100,000 of them are going to the most remote villages, the poorest children, which is really a very, very good decision. And they have put a lot of software on it, a lot of books, and they've done it with an understanding of how children learn that follows very much the principles of Seymour Pepper. And that's when he was the one that went back and studied some of Piaget's uh, principles. Absolutely. So you had mentioned it, uh, earlier about these five principles, and you, me- you mentioned the one principle to use it and bring home and to really to own it. Are there some other principles that go along with that, Nicholas? Yes, there are, there are four others. Um, one which is really important is that you saturate an area. And by saturation, I mean you do every single child in a region versus 10% of the children in 10 different regions. It's better to do all the children and then do the regions one at a time because you want across age groups and really a very dense uh, penetration of the of the laptop. So every now, child. We're going to uh, take a quick break, so just hold that thought for one second. Sure. We'll be right back with Leadership Development News, and we're talking to Nicholas Negroponte, so come right back. The bottom line in business, Voice America Business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Do you need directions to solve financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Dad, 
Let's sing that bedtime song. Rockabye baby by Newton's treetop. His first law of motion makes sure you won't stop. The same rules of physics apply to a ball. While gravity is a force that makes things fall. By the sixth grade, many girls lose interest in math and science. But it's never too early to set your daughter's future in motion. For some simple ideas, go to girlsgotech.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Girl Scouts of USA and Ad Council. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're talking with... Nicholas Negroponte in the one laptop per child. And before the break, Nicholas, you, we had gone through two of the key principles of the one laptop per child to bring it home for them to really own it. And then you were just talking about to saturate the market or the region with that. Uh, is there anything else on that? And then if not, we can hear the three, four, and five. Um, no, I think saturation uh, speaks for itself. Okay. It's, it's a very important principle. Uh, the third one is to have young ages to, and again, this is very important to a government because one of the tendencies is to focus on what people will call IT skills. And so they'll say, well, let's just teach the high school students or the junior high school students how to use computers and they're going to be in society very soon and so let's focus there. We're saying, no, uh, IT skills are not what's important primary education is. And if you mess up primary education, you really have a lot of undoing to do later or that you really can't, uh, you know, do badly in primary education. So let's use it as part of learning itself at the very early ages. So if you want to do 6 to 10 or 6 to 12, whatever age group you choose, that it be lower ages. Then the the next one is a very simple principle. It's just that they be connected, that you have connected laptops. And the last one uh, is that you use free and open source, that you have available to the children not just software that is without cost, but software that can be changed and edited and can be uh, used uh, as something that you integrate into your own work. So just a, a follow-up question on that, Nicholas. So when you talk about some of the software, I uh, I hear about the books. Are, are they doing, you know, do they have, uh, like, paint or, you know, presentations or, like, what what other kind of, you know, is it games? What other kind of software is most popular for them? Well, it's a general-purpose laptop, so you can load lots of things into it. Uh, and it depends on the country because each country has their own priorities. So if you... Look at what children are doing, for example, in Ethiopia. Quite astonishingly, there's a lot of computer programming going on. And there is a particular computer programming language called Squeak. Uh, There's another one called Scratch. And they are both loaded on the Ethiopian machines. They run in the local language, which is called Americ. And it's 
very programming-centric. You move to the other side of the world, and in Uruguay, it's very telecommunication-centric. Kids do a lot of surfing of the web. In Peru, there are lots of books they've downloaded into the laptop books, and there's a lot of reading. It's, it's really quite circumstantial. It's not, there's not a single pattern. Uh, games, obviously, are popular. There's everything for, you know, chatting and writing and painting and browsing and all of those things. There's a lot of facilities to connect equipment and measure and test. And again, it's, it's a relatively endless number sure. of applications. Nicholas, you've talked about heads of state and great leaders who have been very passionate about your mission and serving the mission of these children with one laptop, with the idea of one laptop per child. You know, as you're as you're talking about this and you you do speak about it with such compassion, I I would love our audience to know, as leaders themselves in their own communities, in their own industries, uh, in their own villages, you might say, what, what can our audience do to become a part of this project um, and, and help really support this outstanding program? Well, <clears throat> the, the simplest thing your audience can do is go and look at the website laptop.org. Because we not only describe what's going on, but we have an opportunity there for people to do the give one, get one, as well as just give laptops. But more importantly, tell people to do it. I'm not asking your, your audience to go and buy a laptop as much as I am asking them to tell other people about it. Laptop.org is, is neat, just speaks for itself, and the more people that go and look at it, the better. So we'll pass that on to our audience. That will be www.laptop.org. And, Nicholas, before we get to uh, the end here, are there other things that you're involved in, you know, as a futurist, um, or is this consuming all, uh, all your creative time? Um, I do this 150% okay. time at the moment, so uh, it really is, is very much uh, all-consuming. Now, you've uh, opened, is it five schools now in Cambodia? Well, that was an earlier project mm -hmm. uh, where my family and I in the late 1990s built some schools. Uh, that's a very small project, but at the time, uh, my son, who was living in Italy, moved to Cambodia and helped build those schools, and the early ideas of one laptop per child were sort of tested there. Huh. But out of the almost one million laptops, as you can imagine, the average population of a school is quite small. It's, it's really more like, you know, 100. And so we're talking at the moment uh, about uh, 10,000 schools. We're talking about a very large number of schools. Is there any one message that you have left to share with our audience um, that you'd like to leave them with before uh, we, uh, we have to end today's program? Well, the message that we've been using, and I hope your audience sees it constantly on television and magazines on billboards uh, starting November 17th, is simple. We say 
give a laptop, get a laptop, change the world. And we think this very much can change the world. Adults haven't done a very good job. And I think children are innately global. I think children have this curiosity that if we don't whip it out of them in education, it can really be changing element in, in the future of society. And some of the countries that are in extreme poverty can extricate themselves over time with education. This isn't going to happen instantaneously. It's going to take a while, but the major element of change is education. And there's nothing else that we can give. Obviously, if a child's starving, you have to provide food. If a child's sick, you have to provide medicine. If there's no clean water, you have to provide clean water. But while all of those things are happening, there's nothing more important than education. And primary education at this moment is crucial. In some countries, Afghanistan is an example, 75% of the little girls get no education at the first grade level. Other countries, bigger ones like Nigeria and Pakistan, as many as 50% of the children get no education whatsoever. So it's really a very, very important topic. And I think that, quite surprisingly, one of the best ways of solving that is to give these kids connected laptops. And that sounds naive and it sounds kind of almost extreme, but I think we're proving very quickly that it's a very viable and very executable approach. Well, just hearing this is very, very exciting, and I, and I hope that our, our listeners can go to laptop.org. Just that idea of being able to open up the creativity, and I think one of your principles of starting really young, because I know that there's research that shows that, that kids who are about two or three years old are about 95% creative, but just like you said, by the time they get to be seven or eight, that number is only about five or ten percent, and because they learn how to fit into the box, you know, versus creating things outside of the box. Well, I think that's absolutely true. Well, we have been absolutely intrigued and uh, just held fast by this entire conversation with a wonderful humanitarian and a great futurist the founder of One Laptop Per Child, Nicholas Negroponte. And Nicholas, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to come visit us here at Leadership Development News. Well, thank you for inviting me. Thank you, and this is Leadership Development News signing off for now. And we'll listen in and hear you again next week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We sincerely hope that you're leaving us today with some great ideas and inspiration from today's top leaders. Join us again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Business Channel.